their CCB and um, and he raced CCB mountain bikes for a while. He rode on a tempo check. And then we sort of just stayed, you know, close through his interest in cross and my interest in cross and um, that kind of stuff. And then one of Tim's last years after he was off Saturn, he rode for Jittery Joe's. And Tim and I actually were business partners and part of the Jittery Joe's like marketing stuff for that team. Anyway, so yeah, we had a little business together for a couple years. That's cool. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, Lynn lives, they, they lived in Athens for at least one year. And Lynn stayed there, so we rode a lot together. She's super cool. But I haven't seen her since Cross Worlds in Louisville a couple years ago, like, personally. No, yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, it'd be fun to put you guys back together then. Yeah. I'll keep you up to speed when he's coming out here. And, um, it's going to be the end of March. There's Adobe Summit's like March, my February, 22nd, 29th or something. Gotcha. Yeah. Cool. I'll be all the way in Austin or South by Southwest. Oh, okay. So we have an event out there. But yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. It's crazy. Like, yeah. you know how you met Kaz via social media. I mean, that's, that's one thing I love about cycling among many is that it just it transcends all these different industries that we work in, you know, and it brings everybody together. It's just it's so universal. And it's definitely um, round tripping uh, more so like that. It's kind of become, like I think when I first started, it was definitely had that everybody in cycling takes care of their own sort of thing, but it was a very small network of people. And you know, one of the blessings of the thing out of you know, the whole lands thing was it's just there was just so much more visibility and so much coming into the sport and people that you know, were choosing golf just started choosing cycling as like an activity to do, right? And so it just brought in a lot of people that had strong interest in it. You know, and I've had people close to me um, who have um, said something to the effect of, you know, like they're um, one of the most successful uh, financial advisors in the country, right? Have like literally like a billion dollars under management sort of stuff, you know, like, and said to me, like, I throw it all away to be a pro cyclist, you know, sort of thing, you know, and like it really has this like, you know, for people that come into the sport later, like they see that they can't do it to that level, but they can support any means necessary for other people to Absolutely, do that. You know? No, because that's the same feeling I had. I did all the American sports growing up, right? Yeah. In high school, I played football and basketball. And I got into, I, I mean, I grew up mountain biking, just recreationally in California. And then when I got into road cycling in university, I was already 26, 27, which any kind of like racing, actual racing ability was like behind me at that point. And I was like, nah, damn it, you know, but doesn't mean you still can't get in and, and share coaching expertise with younger up and coming talent or support groups they're developing so you can give other people the opportunity, you know. I, that's something I've always I've always said as well, you know, aside all the bullshit that took place with you know, what scandals took place. You take a look at like what these individuals offered, you know, and they really brought this European sport of like decades of heritage over to a country like ours where it was relatively, it was non, it was like no longer non-American sport. It became, you know, 
the thing to do. Like you said, people, it's the new golf, as my buddy Ben puts it. Yeah, to, to a degree, it's true. I mean, it definitely has that same like amount of buy-in that you need for like golf. You know, yeah. it's just like it's super expensive. You know, it became kind of expensive overnight. And, um, uh, so it definitely is. Uh, you know, it, the only thing that's kind of maybe more exclusive than, than cycling is triathlon. You know, like a buddy of mine that was um, that is a well, a buddy of mine. He's my brother-in-law. He um, he runs. He has an endurance coaching business um, called Tryhard on the East Coast, and, and um, you know, like he was sharing with me some of these stats from like USA Triathlon, and I think. If I recall correctly, the USA Cycling, the average USA Cycling member is like, annual income is like $110,000, which seems ridiculous, like family income. But like in triathlon, it's like 170, like average athlete, you know? And I mean, you just, yeah, you know, and it's just, you know, and it's just amazing that, you know, so it's self-selecting in that regard, you know, and anything that we could do to sort of, move that needle a little bit would be super awesome but you know I mean the other side of that is that um, people that are into it have the financial wherewithal to support the community right and, and that's really important too you know it's that's the reason there's no road racing anymore right like no one no one can afford to close roads you know and that's why the gravel scene is so big is because they um, they don't need to close roads to do it it's the only thing that feels like road racing anymore you know, like Van Vliet is gone and Boulevard is gone and all these like, you know, even in the Southern California, these sort of classic races that have been going on for, you know, 10, 15, 20 years are just no longer available because you just can't afford to do it. And um, so, I mean, obviously we need more money in the sport, but if we had less, it would be even worse. <laughs> we wouldn't be able to shut down an office park. <laughs> I've also I've also noticed that the ecosystem of cycling in in regions like Europe, uh, Western Europe, it's a lot more grounded in, in youth as well. Like there's youth cycling academies where kids are just going in like a gym and they have the best bikes and they get to train. It's very, very economically, like you can reach it. It's not very expensive to do that. So in the States, I don't know, I mean, do you find that in, um, in Anywhere. Well, yeah, I mean, I think you hit it on the head. Uh, the model's financial, like, fundamentally different, right? Yeah. In, in Europe, um, from my experience at least, uh, actually, the, most people don't ride the best stuff. Most people ride pretty average stuff. Right. Like, most people race on, like, Shimano 105. Here's a bike, go out there and ride. Campag Chorus or something, you know, like, definitely not, like, not even, you know, uh, not even, like, Voltaire. And, it's true, and it's so American of us. I'm like, well, if I don't have at least Altegra, I'm not going out. I can't be seen on 105. It's like, why? There's people, like you said, racing on that. That's the backbone of the whole Shimano brand. Well, and then you get, you, you know, you get, like, the, the, the equivalent of the soccer mom, soccer dad, right? And they're, like, out there buying $3,500 NB wheel sets for their juniors, you know? And, like, so a junior that shows up on, like, 32-spoke, you know, so box rim is already... 
you know, already 20, 10 or 15% behind, yeah. you know. And that happens in all the sports. Yeah, it does. Same thing you know? in soccer, the guy with the crappy soccer shoes, you but, know. But the, the difference is, like, in Europe, the, the, the model, from my experience, is, is focused around um, the club-based model, which is, it isn't as much in the United States anymore. Um, like, you know, it used to be, like, even in the United States, like, 15 years ago, if you wanted, like, pretty decent cycling clothes, um, you would purchase through your club every year, and now you can just buy, like, off-the-shelf, like, whatever. People actually go out of their way to have, like, non-branded or, you know, custom-branded stuff, you know, and there's a whole, like, cottage industry around, you know, really nice cycling clothing that isn't associated with a team, you know, and and that was never, never, never the case, you know, in, in the early days, and it's still like that in Europe, like, if, like, you bought, you purchase all your clothing to the club, um, the, the club owns a whole fleet of bicycles, um, and so, like, for juniors, they just get given a bike, right, out of the club, and they use that bike, and they're, they're required to, like, maintain it and keep it up, and if they break something on it, they need to pay for it, basically, but the cost of entry is basically then zero, right, because they're, like, getting this bike. And it's, yeah, it's probably five or six years old, you know, it might be, uh, you know, like, and those bikes just keep getting cycled, you know, recycled through the club until they're not useful anymore and you get rid of them. But, like, that reduces the barrier to entry, but it also means that, like, most of the kids that are showing up, they're all on pretty much the same kind of equipment, right? They're all on club equipment that's five or six years old, so they're not, you know, riding like an Envy wheel set. And maybe if they're really lucky or something, you know, or, I mean, if they're picking on Envy, but, you know, they're just super nice wheels. So, but, like, you know, like, I mean, if their parents are, you know, wealthy enough or something, they might be able to purchase a pair of race wheels that they ride that's separate from the clubs or whatever. But for the most part, you know, like, it evens the playing field and allows a lot more people access to it um, uh, to one degree or another. But it's also sort of a... Um, who participates in that in Europe, right? Like, it's just considered a much more kind of blue-collar sport almost, like we would consider baseball or, you know, soccer here. Um, you know, it's not, it's not exclusive um, to, the, to the elite, you know? Yeah, and, it, and it's definitely that, that model. I see it. I, I see it in, in Peru. It's a completely different sport, but in soccer, it's the same thing. Like, the national team used to be amazing in the 70s. And there was a few problems where there was a plane crash, and half of the national team, uh, you know, died. And all the talent, like, vanished. Yeah. But it was mainly because there was no structure in bringing... Six five-year-old soccer players, kids from different uh, regions in Peru, and then all the way up to the national league. Like there was no stepping stones. Everyone kind of had to find their own way, and you know there was no cedar teams, nothing like that. So it was just you know a free fall. The kids with money, you know, with the families, the known families, would just let them in into the club team, and that was it. You know, but in cycling, I think in the U.S. we all kind of like we say, "Oh, there's no racing in Vegas. There's no this in Vegas." Well, where are the clubs? You know, where where's the community in cycling? You know, where where's the company uh, who's who has 50 bikes for anyone who just wants to ride free? 
Where, where, where's that? You're starting to get a shift in, though. Like, you take a look at, in this country, you've got what we'd consider the big three, right? Football, basketball, and baseball. But nobody runs around having a helmet and shoulder pads and all the equipment to play football. That's all because of, you know, Pop Warner and these junior sports. And you get out of high school, and if you do well enough, you get into college. And with the hopes of being a professional, right? Same yeah. thing with baseball, basketball, whatever. You got a ball, you go practice and play, and you've got a little more money. Like a, a, a general demographic and participate in this sort of thing. But then you take a look at other countries. Peru, for example, you go over to Europe, soccer's a big, or football, right, is, is a big sport there. I think here in this country, everything else just kind of falls in and gets the scraps. Like where I grew up, you know, my school, the women didn't have field hockey, but the school in our league had field hockey. I move out here, there are kids out here playing lacrosse, and I always thought that was an East Coast sport, you know? So it's like all these other sports get kind of like the scraps of the big three, you know? And I guess in a sense where we, we talk about how the sport is kind of privatized almost in this fashion, you know, it's, it becomes attrition. Perhaps that's the model that needs to be developed and is creating these, these clubs because when you take a look at things on the professional level, that's essentially what it is. Those, those riders don't own those bikes unless they're gifted one from the manufacturer. You know, those are seasons over, you turn your bike in kind of thing, you know. So it's kind of interesting how on the bookends that would be the case, but nothing in between. We get individuals in our age at this point, it's like, well, what can you afford? What are you going to ride on? You know, where can you go travel and go uh, go participate? And see how you well, I think there's three points that kind of interleave these things. I think you know, Peru is an interesting example that you bring up because I think Peru, having never been there, but my, my wife has spent some time there, um, but having never been there, suffers from a lot of the same problems that the U.S. does in terms of geography, right? It takes a really, really long time to get anywhere in Peru because there's no infrastructure. It takes a really, really long time to get anywhere in the United States because it's so dang big. And um, so, and those geographies really work against us in terms of like diluting everything. You know, like you, they consider like Belgium is like the size of the state of South Carolina, right? Right. You can get across the whole country in like three hours from the furthest point to the furthest point. And so, within that nation, you have like literally millions of cyclists and like a whole infrastructure, and every small town has a club, and everything is like developed around that. And so, just the concentration there provides. The ability for them to become a powerhouse of that sport, right? Like they have a lot of things aligned. It's a cultural identity thing. They have a lot of people. They have a lot of support for it. And it's like a geography, but it's really small, right? And they have world-class events that have been going on there for ten years. Um, and so, you know, there's like that's like like it's hard to replicate that, right? Um, so I think geography plays a huge part in sort of like the adoption. Of Situation here in the United States. Do you think? Do you think there's a tie between uh, states like California, Nevada, Utah, Colorado? Do you think there's some sort of harmony there with the space of cycling or just endurance sports in general, or is it very yeah. just? A lot of barriers, you think? Yeah. Well, in I mean, terms of events, you know, and uh, races, uh, media. So it's interesting. I've been struggling a lot, a lot with this actually. Before the podcast, we're talking yeah. about my motivation being in like an all-time low, uh, in terms of just like riding and stuff. So it's, like I'm trying to just do the minimum to stay as minimally fit as possible, and, and hope for my motivation to return. But you know, I mean, I think. Uh, from a very cynical point of view, you know, if you think about 
what it actually takes to get. I think this is the first year. I mean, I've been a father for several years now, but this is the first year when the kids are really into Christmas. And I think I, I kind of came to a realization that you know, like it used to be like over Christmas holiday, over over Thanksgiving holiday, I would train a lot. Right, those were like times when I would just like this, there were group rides to do, and like this year, tomorrow, you know, Vegas starts like the three days of fitness. Like Neil Shirley's doing his four days of fitness in California. It was all about like doing big miles over the holiday. Like this is the first holiday season where I think I'm realizing that like it's not about me anymore. And it's not appropriate for me to be on like a five-hour ride every day over the holiday and for like kids and family to like stay at home. And that's part of a maybe a bit of like a like an emotional shell shock for me a little bit in terms of like you know like in like when I was living in Athens, Georgia, you know we had this winter bike league thing that we do like every every Saturday and then every like holiday we do these big huge group rides people come from Atlanta and all kinds of you know two three hours away to do these things and um, they were really fun and it was like a huge part of my identity is doing these sorts of things to some degree or another and, and now it's kind of like it doesn't feel as flexible to be able to do that and I'm realizing that yeah you know it's like if it's not available for me to do like here then it's it's not as motivating, right? Like if I have to take a whole day, because you know racing a bike, regardless of whether it's like an hour criterium or like a like a hundred mile gravel grinder sort of thing, like it's a full day out of your life to do. It doesn't matter like the actual like time because you got to go there, you, you you know you hurry up and wait for the start, and then you race, and then you got you know there's after work and that sort of stuff. So you know real, realistically speaking, it doesn't matter like what whether you go for an hour criterium or like a big long road race or something it's all a full day and it's a full day away from your family away from wherever you're doing like it's an opportunity cost to do other things and so if you add on top of that full day of an actual event like three or four or five hours of travel like you have to be in the situation in your life where you're capable of being able to do that and for everything else in your life to remain harmonic and if you're not then like you limit a huge percentage of the population that can do it you know, so yeah, I mean, if you guys in Utah maybe want to come down and race like the state cycle cross race in St. George, yeah, but did they actually do it? No, because it's just like the distance, for, like the, the momentum for them to get out the door and get down there and get their families packed and organize all that, go down and do it, you know, is, is challenging. You know, and cyclocross is one of the more family oriented sports, right? Like mom can race because she races at a different time than dad can, there's usually a kids race and it's sort of you know like it's, it's as family oriented as you can get it's still like a really massive effort to try to get everybody in the family involved and there at the same time you know it's just realistically speaking and I don't mean to be pessimistic or, or um, no I feel it I mean you that's, that's a, yeah that's a real world perspective because I don't think anybody wants to address that you know we've we've in our own right seen individuals that have been so opposite in the extreme of like no this is what I'm going to do and I'm not going to let anything get the way you know to achieve that goal and I that's fine I get that but in some aspect it's, it's just as just as much of an issue of like you know being in balance because they set aside all the other things that really bring value to life you know so yeah it's, it's one of those things that you know you said opportunity costs and you know you, you take a look at on one on one hand you can go do a five hour ride or on the other hand you can spend that time which is limited with your children that are growing up you know it's like which one in the end weighs the most value I would say spending time with kids you know 
there's always going to be opportunity for five-hour rides. Not always opportunity to go spend the holidays with the uh, family. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, you know, there's an opportunity to balance both. I think, but you know, it's just less often. Right? And, and then you know, just the small things get in the way. You know, like, the weather here is going to be terrible. So there's a, you know, lots of great riding in the next couple of days. But who wants to go ride in the rain and 50 degrees? And, yeah. You know, it's. I mean, you have to be really motivated to do that. And if your motivation doesn't match that, then it's you know, like you're kind of dead in the water. Yeah, it's, it's funny. It's funny how people weigh, and everyone does this. I mean, gym memberships are going crazy, like peak season, right? Right now, because everyone wants to finish the year strong and they want to start the year strong. It's like goals and stuff for 2017. So you see these uh, really long camps and rides at this time of the year too, where it's like, hey, you know, don't lose your fitness or jumpstart your fitness you know, for next year. But it's funny because after you know 365 days out of the year, uh, you wait till now to start. <laughs> disciplines um, and uh, you know I think cyclists in general tend to be a bit more like not really team sport driven but a bit more social no doubt. like like well socially competitive I'd say you know like uh, triathletes tend to be pretty internally driven and they may like to race each other but realistically they tend to race themselves exactly. yeah. you know and be and I think it's a lot easier barrier to entry for people that are entering endurance sport in a in a uh, adult life, right? And, and I mean, it shows in the demographics of triathletes. I think, but, you know, chances are you are good at running or swimming or cycling in your younger days, um, and maybe you ran track in college, or you ran track in high school, or something or you swam competitively. A lot of people bring like a strong tradition of one of those sports to the table. So, you know, it's just a matter of probably picking up cycling. That's probably the one that they didn't have, you know, um, growing up. 
so you know it's kind of is that nice harmony combination of like stuff that they used to do that they still love to do and the challenge of something new and um, and yeah I mean most of them almost every single triathlete I know is incredibly successful in their professional life you know incredibly successful uh, you know in other parts of their lives and it's driven very driven I think it brings some structure like yeah like you're saying it's driven it, it reminds me of a it reminds me of a, kind of a mind thought or a mindset rather than my, my, my brother would share with me we take a look at things like financing right people would, it baffles me that individuals say like oh I can't I can't afford this and his thought was we need to shift our thinking and like how can I afford this and you've already started the problem solving you know take a look at individuals and say you know I, I don't have time for that why not shift into thinking well how can I make time for it? how can I make time to get out of the world how can I and a friend's grown up what are you working on today? I'm, I'm working on transitions. Wait, what does that mean? You're spending all of your training time today working on transitions. And that's something that's so, you know, crucial to that particular sport. But it's it's how do I make time to, and how do I force myself to focus on training on transitions only today, you know? That sort of thing is, is empowering, and I think that's why that motivation shows up puts that individual further ahead in our minds and they really sit in the background as a spectator almost kind of like, I admire that. But we all, you know, the truth is when we talk about like unlocking your potential, that's it within all of us. It's just simply that shift in mental construct. Do you have any any good books that you've been into in 2016? Good books. Um, like yeah, you know what? You along the way this year? Yeah, I've actually had... Um, so this year I started, again, referring back to my brother, I really jumped into kind of doing a book club with him and, and shared that with others. And it's amazing when you open that up to people, like, oh, hey, I'm reading some books. And you start to develop this perpetual book list. Um, so initially my brother said, you need to check this one out and read it. And I said, okay. Um, so at one point he gave me uh, Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. And then I, I started reading that and kind of like put it on the back burner a little bit, just didn't get in the habit of reading. And then he had shared Ego is the Enemy with me from Ryan Holiday. And that just took me by storm. I read that probably three times in about four months. It was just, I couldn't put it down. There's just so much density in there. Uh, about, you know, self-awareness and how it transcends everything that we do in life and how it really helps us change our perspective on things. And then since then, I've finished uh, last night, actually, uh, The Obstacle is the Way, again, by Ryan Holiday, and then a good friend of mine, Giles Goodwin told me about this book called The China Study, which is probably the most prolific nutritional study that's ever been conducted over the course of like, we talked about this a little bit ago in yeah, the yeah. house. Um, a study that was conducted over the course of some three decades. Um, uh, basically, Thomas uh, Campbell, his son, uh, so he's from Cornell, but 
talked about, you know, the, the differences between um, basically Eastern diet versus Western diet. So those have been, yeah, those have been some pretty, good list. Those have been some pretty heavy things I've done. Man. What about you, Jim? You, you had any time to read? You know, um, I haven't read a lot of actual like books slash novels this year. I've, I've done a lot of, I've read a lot of Medium articles this year, which are kind of just about the right. We, weren't we talking about books on the way back from the uh, from Spicer Ranch? Yeah. What was that author you were talking about? Um, so, but yeah, my, my pick for that is um, uh, Malcolm Gladwell uh, came out this year with a podcast called Revisionist History. Oh, cool. And Malcolm Gladwell is one of my favorite authors, but um, it, it, and, and the podcast is, is great. It's a great, it's really well engineered. Um, it's sort of season based, so he'll do like eight or nine, and he'll do eight or nine next year or whatever, cool. you know. Um, and really fascinating topics, though, and, and very, um, it's, it's great. He's, you know, like everything he does, it's incredibly well researched and thought out. Um, he's an incredible storyteller, so yeah, um, you know, that was really cool. And then um, I got uh, actually Phil Guyman's book, uh, Pro Cyclists on Ten Dollars a Day, so that's a new one. and it's really funny. Like I, you know, it's been out for several years, and you know, a lot of the characters and people and events in that book I've been very proximal to um, in my career, and so it's been fun to like, you know, read that. But I went out to his grand Fondo, and he gave me a signed copy, and um, so I got to read that. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. It's a it's a fun read. Did you pick up any good uh, tips on there? What, what is it? I gave them all to him. So yeah, <laughs> just kidding. That's good. We used to have this. No, I'm talking to the right guy. There was this. There was this uh, a kid um, when I was growing up. This junior, his name is uh, Johnny Sun. He's a uh, he's a um, he works at Giant now. I think he's a regional uh, sales manager, a regional outside rep for Giant in uh, Texas. And he's an incredible cyclist, and um, he's actually very very skilled. He's the first person I I ever saw like bunny hopping barriers on his cross bike sort of stuff. Um, and um, he grew up in. I think Winthrop, Washington, and um, he was always kind of, uh, you know, finances were pretty tight for him, so he was always kind of, like, bumming rides and getting place to place for mountain bike racing and kind of living it on the edge, and we used to joke about it being called ghetto bike racing, and, and, uh, and uh, he would... He called my buddy uh, Jeremy Horgan-Gabelski and I were living in um, San Diego for the winter and he was down there, uh, had gotten down there somehow and we all needed to get to Sea Otter. And he called us and he's like, I, I need a ride to Sea Otter. And Jeremy's like, I can get you a ride but I can't get your bike on the car, I don't have a mount, you know? And he's like, do you have a rack? He's like, yeah. So like Johnny like rides to our house where we're staying with like um, an old front hub that he's like machine, like like taking like a, a, a lathe to and like cut out the bottom part of the flange and like two zip ties and like zip ties the hub to oh the <laughs> to the rack <laughs> and like you know, puts his puts his mountain bike on the top and like tightens it down and throws the wheel on the back and that's his bike rack for uh, you know. So like, Did anybody picture this? Did you guys get a picture at all? No. That is a GCN bodge for sure, dude. That is so awesome. No way. <laughs> 
<laughs> you heard it on Fuel and, Talk. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it's so sick. yeah, it was pretty awesome, you know, like, um, yeah, and, you know, that's just, like, that image always kind of, like, sticks with me, right? Like, there's always sort of, like, an inventive way, and Johnny was always so great at being able to figure out a way to, like, it, like you were saying, right, like, instead of, like, thinking about uh, the fact that he can't do something, I can't get to the race, you know, it's like, how am I going to get there, right? Like, what can I do? And, um, yeah, we, Johnny and I called it uh, ghetto bike racing. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know they kind of came out in all kinds of ways, you know, and uh, living on very small salary, learn how to do that kind of stuff. I love that book, man. Because what I love is it gives a real world perspective on everything, you know. Any of us who who've had to make those sacrifices to try and figure out how to make it work, you know, it's just it's, it's awesome, you know. It's not this super glamorous kind of like oh we live in super posh hotels and we're on the road. It's like no, we're riding and then getting in the car immediately with no shower and like blasting down the coast to try and get to the next race because we're trying to like you know get these palmares it's awesome yeah yeah back in the back in the days when I lived uh, I went to grad school in Kansas uh, Steve Tilford lives there you know, we would, that was a really great setup because Steve was always racing and there was a group of people that were always going to races and stuff. I mean, we raced all the time. We'd like get in the car Saturday morning, drive like three hours to Iowa, race a mountain bike race, get back in the car, you know, drive like to St. Louis, stay the night in some crappy hotel, like race or road race the next day, drive home. You know, it was like all day, every day, racing bikes and riding. It was fun. It was a good, good lifestyle for a while. Yeah. yeah. How was your, your racing season this year, 2016? Uh, what racing season? <laughs> <laughs> you mean the one that ended in July? Yeah, that was. <laughs> How'd it go, man? I mean, any, any highlights? Did you do anything? Sure, yeah, I mean, it was good. Anything fun? Um, but I, uh, Did you hack your way through any race? I don't know if I hacked my way. I definitely survived a few. You know, I, I did a lot of the mixed surface stuff this year. So I did Belgium off a ride. And I did um, Crusher and a Tusher. Um, I feel like I did a couple others. Well. Oh, Rock Cobbler. Um, and I'm signed up this year for Rock Cobbler. Um, and, uh, Where is that? It's in Bakersfield. It's a great, really fun race. I just saw that on Facebook. Yeah, yeah, it's a really fun race. It's great. Um, Bakersfield's so weird because it's just like these beautiful green rolling hills one way and then like you know you look the other way and it's like uh, like the oil fields right and it just looks like you know like Judgment Day you know like glamorous side of California it's so interesting you know and, but uh, but you know and you're like riding these incredibly beautiful green hills there's like couches on the side of the road and yeah, but like, have you ever watched any of those like, like motocross flicks from the '80s and stuff? I mean, they're all filmed there on these like super steep hills, and you know that sort of like, uh, like I don't know, motorcycle free riding of that era. You know, was was all done. You know, and it's just cool to ride out there and see these like, you know, um, and. Uh, yeah, it's a cool race. It's almost all dirt. Um, it's pretty rideable on like a cross bike with thick tires, um, but it's definitely not. You wouldn't want to ride a road bike on it. There's a lot of sand in the last 15 miles, and um, but yeah, it's, it's it's good on a mountain bike or a cross bike. So um, it's it's a fun fun event. It's really well supported. Uh, this rest stops are. are you know, they've got a ton of stuff. There's always there's some challenges you have to do. You can like get time off and do something like throw a rock in a bucket or something. So it's sort of 
a little bit yeah. more it's fun, dynamic, a little yeah. dynamic, a little yeah. more yeah. than just a regular bike race. And so with that on the uh, with that on the uh, the radar, then what what kind of what kind of training do you do here to prepare for something like that? Or do you travel someplace to kind of get the same feel? Oh, you mean in terms of like terrain and riding? Yeah. We, there's actually some pretty okay like dirt road riding here in Vegas, but I don't I don't focus on it too much. Uh, I mean, I'm unique in that respect though, right? Because I just have so many years of doing that kind of riding and stuff. Like, as long as I spend a little bit of time, you know, dialing my tire selection, air pressure, make sure that like the bike actually works. Yeah, I love I love how you're. So I don't know if you do, but you know, Jed is a master coder. He's a developer, right? I mean, very analytical brain, but when it comes to your riding and your cycling, I don't know if this is like something the past couple of years or something recent, but you're very much like, I don't know, your approach to it is very art, art. it's more art form for you, you know, and, and, and it's like, is that something you do on purpose? Are you trying to balance out your, you know, your coding with some art in your life, you know, and, and you're just approaching the bike in that, Maybe. that way? Maybe. I think, because um, I, I feel like, you know, we were at Fuel Talk, you know, you, you, you know, the panel of uh, psychology of endurance. Yeah. And, you know, we were talking a little bit about how athletes train with or without data and how important that is psychologically while you're training, you know, and I remember you, you said something around the lines that, you know, sometimes you don't even take your garment out or you don't even look at it because you go off of your intuitive, your, 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 your intuition, right? Yeah. Very much close to how your body feels uh, in regards to your heart rate, for example, uh, and your zone, you know? So, is that something you do on purpose or what? Well, so I guess there's sort of like two facets to that question. And, um, the one is that it reminds me of this um, of this uh, article that I heard about that was written uh, uh, on NPR. They have this uh, section, this segment called The Hidden Brain, and it's, it's hosted by this guy, and I, I, I think his name is Ashan Vidanka. Um, and uh, he has this blog called Hidden Brain. He talks about like social science and like the implications, similar to the way that like Freakonomics and like Malcolm Gladwell take like a little twist on like like the expectations uh, versus reality sort of thing. And he was talking about this study um, where um, they were identifying a placebo effect with brand name stuff. And so uh, people that uh, knew that they were using brand name things perform better than using a generic product. And then, they, they, but there was a caveat to that, that was when, that, that didn't work for people who were true like experts in the field. In other words, the better that you were at the task at hand, the less you required brand name equipment to do your best. And that resonated really strongly with me in the fact that like, you know, as a professional cyclist or something, you are paid to represent a brand. And that brand may not have the bike that was the best that you like or whatever, whatever but you're like, you are promoting that brand and you may work with that brand if you're in a position of lucky enough to like improve it. But either way, you know, like you ride that bike, right? And uh, 
so and you're expected to perform and win on it regardless of like kind of whether you like the bike or not right um, but what I so the, the takeaway for me on that and the realization is that when we're new at something or newer we focus much more on the details and like we need to have everything right we need to understand everything in order to be able to do our best right but when you're really really experienced at something like all of those detail needs sort of fade away right because you don't your, your brain because your brain is no longer, no longer preoccupied with all of those things that you realize aren't really important right and you focus on a few things that are you know like for me like tires and tire pressure are really important and so like I focus on that and I focus on like the battery for my electronic shifting being charged right and I focus on making sure that my I have two water bottle cages <laughs> you know like the stuff that I know is going to make a difference right but I know that you know um, certain equipment selection choices or focusing on certain things or you know even to the point that we were talking about earlier like do I do specific preparation for like rock cobbler the answer is no, but it's because I've been riding bikes, I've been riding equi questionable equipment <laughs> for lots and lots of years, you know, like, I mean, like, I wrote this blog article about, or this Medium article on um, the, the Crusher, the Tusher last year, and one of the realizations that I had during the Crusher was I'm like... There's this really, really steep descent, about 35, 40 miles into Crushers. And then you, you go down, you do this big loop on the pavement, and you ride back up this steep climb. It's called the Cold to Crush. And it's really exposed, and you're super high up. And I mean, if you don't hit the brakes, you can easily hit 50 miles an hour on the straights. And it's dirt, and it's steep. And what it reminded me of exactly was like the Mammoth Kamikaze downhill, which you used to do in the early 90s. Um, in late 80s as part of like the national downhill circuit and people would spend like their whole season building bikes specific for that downhill it was so unique and the downhill you know people like died um, they never died but I mean you know they had full on pads in an era when like not everybody rode pads on downhills they had full on pads like motorcycle equipment um, they would use custom pedals and high gears they put like 52 chainrings on because you could hit like 52, 53, 54 miles an hour on a mountain bike going down this hill and it was also very exposed very high with really high speed corners it was a really unique you know like blend of skills to be able to like do like motorcycle like drifting style turns on a bike through the corners um, and so, but it, you know, going down this hill reminded me exactly of riding the Kamikaze. But what I realized is that, like, this cross bike I'm riding with, like, tubeless tires and disc brakes and all in, like, a carbon frame was, like, so much better than even the mountain bikes we rode down the Kamikaze downhill in the early 90s. You know, so from my perspective, so from most people's perspective going down that hill, they're riding a bike, like, they're riding it on a cross bike just like I am, thinking that they need to be on, a, like, a four-inch travel mountain bike because that's their perspective. And I'm thinking that my bike is way better than the mountain bike I used to ride on the same crap. You know, so from a from like a like a mental perspective, I'm already ahead because like I think my equipment is way better than it needs to be for the task at hand. Whereas most people who are less experienced and don't have like that kind of history doing this ridiculous stuff on marginal equipment 
they think like, oh, I need like a four inch travel mountain bike to accomplish this thing. You know, the same thing goes out like the only mountain bike I have right now is like a hardtail, rigid 290. And I go out with these guys and I ride on this stuff. And they're totally blown away that I can like keep up or even drop them or, you know, like ride the terrain that they're riding. But in reality, like that bike is so much better than any of the bikes we used to ride in the early 90s, you know, even without a suspension fork. <laughs> like being able to ride like 10 PSI in your tires and being able to like have decent gearing and being able to like have a 2.9er wheel that rolls over stuff super easily. I mean, it's it's crazy, right? Like it's so much better than the bikes we used to ride. It's lighter, you know, it handles better. And um, so, you know, like most people are like, oh, I need a four inch travel bike to ride this type of terrain and I'm riding on a rigid hardtail to them that's you know impressive to me it's just like way better than it used to be right like I'd love to have a four-inch travel bike don't get me wrong but you know like just it's just like the, your mental shift right yeah it's different yeah. perhaps that's a battle of like you know experience versus really marketing too right because they think those things they have to go get that kind of equipment because that's what's needed where someone in your situation has had experience with wider range of different uh, you know machines and equipment and everything and you fine tune what works you know well I think it's just yeah I mean I think it's just a matter of like in, in all things and like that's the thing that I'm experiencing more and more is like as I become closer and closer what I perceive as like mastery of like programming um, you know and like every time you sort of achieve sort of a mastery of something right, the more and more all those things blend together and they're all the same right like being a master at whatever you know I mean like kind of the 10,000 hour sort of idea being a master or something like uh in, becoming a craftsman of that thing, right? Uh, you really, you become less and less dependent on the specificity of the things at hand, and you, you, you are more able to adapt to the process because you just have more experience and able to, you know, like, understand. So it's like, yeah, you know, it's like, I can't ride, I can't ride trails as fast as I could if I were equally experienced and had, like, a four-inch travel bike that was set up for me, and, you know, that I had spent the time dialing in the suspension and that kind of stuff. But if I don't take the time to do that, I'm probably better on the tools that I know just because, like, I don't have to think about it, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, you, so so once you take someone like that and you put them on the best tools, they become that much better, right? But they don't need the best tools to be fairly proficient, right? To be able to handle what's at hand. And, and, um, so I think that's, and that's that's true in any situation, right? Like, if you have like a, someone who's like a, a an incredibly experienced uh, EMT or an incredibly experienced like you know uh, surgeon or something, and they don't have like the tool at hand, they can adapt to that. They've seen it all before, so they're not concerned about the fact that they don't have the thing they need. They're concerned that they, they have because they're already thinking like five steps ahead, yeah. you know, and they already know. Like they can use this other thing over here to do the same thing or whatever, you know. So the more and more experience you get in that kind of stuff, you know, the, the less you, the more you can adapt to what you have instead of what you feel like you, yeah. you need to have a certain thing. What kind of what uh, other discoveries have you made this year, Danny, uh, in regards to balancing your life, you know, with training, cycling, uh, nutrition? You know, what have you found around? 
this year's journey? Um, well, so going along with that and, and then what uh, little what Jed just said too, um, coupling the idea of self-awareness, you know, once we got that concept of 10, the 10,000 hour rule, right? And, and so in, in listening to a, uh, a podcast with Ryan Holiday and, and Tim Ferriss, you know, and, um, you know, Malcolm Gladwell talks about it in uh, The Outliers and then David versus Ryan concept. What I, what I love about this idea is this perpetual student, right? So we, we Holiday and Ferris talk about this and he's like, okay, so hit the 10,000 hour rule. Now you just stop. We just keep going, you know. So it's what I'm excited about is the idea is that there's there's the opportunity to master perhaps one thing, and, and then we keep going with that, and then now all of a sudden we transition into something else, and it's something that's completely unknown. So we take, for example, a gravel bike, right? How many of us in the general populace actually have the experience with that at all? You know, nothing. So now it's all this new uncharted territory that we move into. We take a look into the uh, the proliferation of all this information we have based on nutrition now. And we take a look at all these different concepts that build into training and then, you know, the shift in technology now with all this functional information available to us via data, you know. So for me, it's exciting to, to be able to, one, implement that in my life and really start fine-tuning a pattern that works out well for me, but then in turn share it with other people. Just like, you know, when you share your experience, sharing with others, it's like, hey, this is what I found really works for me. And this isn't a time when I didn't have the convenience of all the stuff available to me. It was more just kind of like trial and error, you know, the technology wasn't there. We're talking about how, you know, stuff is built now that is just incredible. Last night, I was looking into something that uh, Dave Zabriskie and I talked about in Half Moon Bay earlier this year about how 3T came out with this Explorer. Oh, yeah. And you take a look at what Roman's done with them, and that machine is insane, you know, like the capabilities of it. And now we're talking like this arrow carbon gravel grinder bike. Like it's, it's like, and so you would present something like that 10 years ago and you're like, you are out of your mind, you know? So it's neat. I think for me, it's fun to be able to take along. So I guess in a roundabout way to share my thoughts, Pablo, yeah. is, is I've really, I've really resonated with this concept that Holiday shares about Ken Shen. And I think it's, I think it's Ken Shen, right? That's the MMA fight. Yeah, I hope, I hope the hell I said his name right. <laughs> I think Shamrock, I think his first name. Anyways, so he actually talks about this um, plus minus equals concept, right? And in the realm of uh, MMA fighting, you know, you train with someone that's better than you, so that you're always advancing your skills. And then you test that learning with someone that's equal to you, and to always present yourself in a more humble fashion. Honing in on the skills you just learned, you train someone that's not as skilled as you, you know? And so we take a look at that concept and apply it to all the different aspects of life, plus minus equals. And I think that for me is probably has been the most significant discovery I like that I can now apply. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's something that idea of always, you know, being being a little vulnerable and allowing yourself to be a perpetual student, I think, is where it's uh, oh, yeah. where I'm where I'm on right now. Yeah, it's 
it's been, uh, I mean, you know, at the end of the year, it's, it's always a good time to reflect, you know, take a big uh, macro look at your life. <laughs> uh, I think I've zeroed in, though, on something that I learned at, I think I was about 15,000 feet above sea level in Peru, in a village where there was no light, no water, uh, they're the, the unknown paradise, a little area called Tajeo, and it's with these people that reminded me about something very simple called respect. And I always come back to it when I'm in a dark moment, you know, whether it's something very impactful that happened to me, um, whether it's personal or through business or through relationship uh, or training, you know, I always go back to respect and it's, this year it, it, it's, it's been highlighted so much more time after time after time that I've really just been like, wow, uh, you know, looking at, at even Fuelixer, you know, like this company, what we do like with Fuel Talk. I mean, respecting the fact that people are willing to share, you know, their stories uh, and who they are, uh, you know, personal things is huge. Uh, respecting that people will actually, uh, you know, purchase something from you and entrust you and your company um, that, that you will, you know, in, in turn give them something of high quality and, and you know, what, what they deserve. Respect the people that I've been able to work with. Um, respect the people you know, that uh, have, have come through, um, you know, in conversations through Fuel Chat or even through Fuel Talk, the conference that we had. You know, that was a that was a crazy experience. I've never thrown a party like that before in my life. You know, it was uh, it was a very much learning experience. You know. Uh, so I think for me, it's been respect, you know, and, and, and even training, even time, like what you said today about like, you know, looking at things, you know, a, a SWOT analysis, let's talk about a SWOT analysis on your life, you know, the strengths, weaknesses, uh, opportunities and threats, you know, where does your time with your family lie on that horse, you know, where does your training of cycling, something that you love doing, sharing time either even by yourself on the road or with friends, where does that lie, you know, and what are the components that affect all those things, um, I think, just respecting the fact that you're aware of that is huge, you know, at least you're a human on earth that is observing that, because how many people out there aren't doing this? I mean, seriously, man. You know. So, yeah, I think I think it's been a, it's been a great year for for respecting I mean, even nutrition, even food, man. You know, you've been you've been talking about Danny uh, about you know approaching it from uh, more of a plant-based, you know, earthly-grown stuff, and I mean. Looking at an apple and before putting it in your mouth, you respect it. You're like, hey, this is a great apple, you know. Or if you're opening up a bar or whatever, and just like taking it for what it is, you know. I mean, on the way out here to come to Mothership, you know, for this podcast, we we're at a light and there was a, a cyclist life that was taken away, you know. 
you got you got to respect the life that, that we got right now. So I think I think every every single encounter that we've had, whether it's through Felix or Field Talk or on a personal level, it's been it's been really great. And I'm very thankful for that for sure. Um, shifting gears a little bit. What's your outlook for next year, man? You know, what are you what are you looking for? We're not looking for, but because we're talking about expectations, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can't be can't be placing too much expectations out there. You know. Yeah. Uh, you gotta be happy. So yeah, I don't know. Do you, do you have anything on the board in terms of cycling? Any good events? I yeah, I definitely want to do. I'm, I'm signed up for Rock Cobbler. Um, the Allegiant team that I'm riding for has a pretty heavy schedule for the spring. You know, I'm uncertain how much I'll be actually fit, fit enough to be able to make an impact. Oh, you'll, you'll crank it out, dude. But, uh, but yeah, we have we have a lot of big events going on for us there. Uh, I'd like to do uh, a couple gravel races again. BWR isn't until May this year, so it gives me a little bit more time to prepare, which is nice. So, on a cycling front, that's, you know, um, maybe I'll try to go out and do gravel walls this year in Lincoln, Nebraska. It's probably a pretty good course for me, honestly, so um, we'll see. Um, it's late in the summer, so it's hard to know how well I'll be doing with the climate here. Danny was riding in England this morning. Oh, yeah, yeah, I got a little rain. Yeah. It's amazing, but you know. <laughs> just kind of muscle through it, right? He, yeah. has a, he has a world tour in the next three months. It's <laughs> crazy. <laughs> that flight is faster than I thought it was. Got me here just in time for this. You've been enjoying Swift this year, huh? I did. Swift's been great, man. Uh, matter of fact, I, I, I linked up with um, my buddy Mike Rose, who lives in Framingham, Massachusetts. Uh, the guy works for Boston Robotics. So he does some crazy stuff. We watch those goofy films of the robots tripping up on YouTube. Stuff. He's working on those things, right? So a buddy of mine I grew up with in California. He had grew up surfing and raising mayhem over there. Just got in touch with me a Facebook Messenger. And I was like, hey, dude, we're three hours difference, but let's, let's link up. And so we jumped on Swift and we rode together today. And it's, it's neat. I mean, talking about an hour earlier, you were saying, Pablo, that... You know, gym memberships are going up at the end of the year. Take a look at that, right? Software-based uh, writing experience in this virtual world that people are jumping on. Yeah, they so they, they raised they raised a ton of capital yeah. a few months ago. With to be honest, that that's, that's the like only that. way I can be on a trainer now. Before I was just it was drudgery, and I was like, I don't want to do this. You're lucky to get me on there for an hour because of that program now. I can get on there for an hour, two hours sometimes, and it's just, it's, all right, I can do it. It, it keeps you uh, captivated, you know, and, and, and working for those little goals. All of a sudden, like, a, a sprint shows up or whatever. Uh, you know, it's, it feels great. Yeah, and it's good because you can, you know, you can just... Actually, I haven't been on Swift. I haven't even been on a trainer ever. Ever? And it shows. So... <laughs> You know, I a lot of people tell me about Swift, and they they love the fact that they can just jump on and you know do the whole virtual thing. Uh, I don't know. The reason why I got into cycling was to get on the road and feel like a kid. You know, so I don't know. I I, I kind of enjoy that that aspect. My, my thought is like you know when we've got dismal weather. Granted, it's Vegas, right? But for those who haven't visited, it gets cold here and it's not enjoyable inside sometimes. I'd rather be on the trainer and, and maintaining, you know? Yeah. So when the good weather does show up, I can still get out and, and perform. 
perform physically where I already think I am mentally. Because there's nothing worse than getting out on the road and mentally you think you're there. Physically you're just dragging, you know? You're trying to get that little bump of a climb, the red rock overlook, you're like, why oh, this is so hard, you know? It should be just a, a minor obstacle. Yeah. No, it has its place for sure. Definitely has its place. It helps with camaraderie though too, you know, like we were discussing earlier, it's a social thing. It sucks being on a trainer when you're by yourself, but I think that's why the, the, the brilliance of Zwift has, has taken off, is that you can connect with other people. It's, it's more than just sitting on a, a stationary trainer, putting on a movie, having a family, it's so it, It's less uh, obligation and drudgery and more goal-oriented, I think. Do you have a, um, a trainer that has like feedback on it? That's I did the I did the beta, and I just have a power meter, you know. So I was just riding on like a uh, uh, like a cyclops fluid trainer with a power meter, and you know, like the drafting thing wasn't very good, right? Because like you didn't get the feedback from the sure. trainer, like you were actually drafting. You had to kind of like control your own cadence and your own power output to like stay in the draft and stuff. So I could see like maybe like one of the Wahoo kickers or something like that that's like that's got the the, the dual feedback, so it'll actually like make it feel like you're pedaling easier in the draft sort of thing. Will be sort of a, a unique experience. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm matter of fact, I just had that conversation with Mike this morning because he's on a Wahoo and I'm on I'm on a kinetic road machine with the inline. And so on there, I can just maintain a certain wattage based off of that info I'm riding on the power meter on the bike I use. But his, you know, with the Wahoo, so I was like, okay, cool, we'll ride. We have a meeting we to get to. So when we get to 20 miles, it's just, we'll just slow down and that's it. And he's like, I'm having a hard time slowing down because at the 20 mile marker on this particular route, it's uphill. So he's like, the resistance is there. It's hard for me to try and slow down because the Wahoo's pushing me to get up this hill. You know, whereas my, my kinetic is, it's kind of like when I'm done, it just yeah, you just that, done, you know. Yeah. So it, it's a disadvantage there. Um, you know, like we were saying earlier, yeah, the uh, the, uh, the initial investment on something like that is is not small. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, whatever. At the end of the day, the feedback is pretty ideal. Plenty of people used to knock the uh, or talk to me, knock the stuff like oh, CrossFit, for example. Right? It's such a favorite. Whatever, dude. At the end of the day, if it gets out, people moving. You know, and they're active, oh, yeah, they're, they're better for it, you know? So it, you know, but yeah, the same sort of thing is it's, it has its limitations, but... I, I, um, I, I did the, I, I've had better ex experience, I guess, with the trainer road stuff, which is similar, but it's just not social oriented, but you can like plug in your workouts and it gives you like visual feedback as to where you are in your interval, yeah. and then... Uh, I've used that a fair bit more because I always feel like the only reason I'm riding my trainer is to do like specific work. Correct. Yeah. And so like it's sort of ridiculous to get on Swift and like you know you're like the 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 jerk who shows up to the group ride and wants to do your like you know three by five minute intervals on the group ride you know and like not ride with the group ever you're like riding off the front or off the back because yeah. you're recovering or going too hard you know and like I always feel like that jerk on 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 uh, Swift if I'm doing my intervals you know yeah, like. Yeah. <laughs> It's like if I get a KOM or something, it just happens to be because I like my time of the interval like lined up with the climb and I actually try to go hard on it sort of sure. thing or whatever. So like I've never found it as interesting as some people do, but um, 
you know, like I also have like a really specific work yeah. plan. So. Yeah, and I think in that aspect, you know, it's, it's definitely, you get individuals who know their training efforts and, and what they're able to perform and have a specific goal, and it's a little tedious and, and kind of cumbersome. I think for the common club rider or individual that's, you know, maintaining their fitness, and yeah, it has its place, and yeah. no doubt it's great for social get-togethers. I mean, I, I've been on there and seen individuals like Lawrence and Dam or whatever say, okay, you know, tomorrow morning, 7 a.m., we're getting on there, and you see like 40 people jump in with them, and I'm like, man, that's awesome, man, that's great. And if that, if that pushes them further along to where they're at, then, yeah, it serves its point, but yeah, I think you're right. You know, if you've got particular things you're trying to achieve, and it's a little cumbersome. Yeah, I don't know, it's interesting. I like the idea, though. I think it's cool. I mean, I think, um, you know, like you said, anything that gets people out doing their stuff, and, um, you know, breaks down that barrier to entry, you know. Realistically speaking, there's a lot of people that, you know, feel incapable for one reason or another to, to be out on the road, right? Like, you know, they feel um, vulnerable or, you know, whatever. And um, so, you know, it's, it's night or, you know, that sort of thing. And different work schedules now. Or they're already talking themselves out of it. Pablo and I have seen this, you know, where people are like, oh, I, don't, I don't want to get on the ride because I don't want to slow you guys down. You know, they feel like they're going to be a burden on everybody. And it's like, that's, you got to get rid of that, you know, perception that, you know, there's this agenda that we're all getting out and hammering when all actuality it's like, let's get out, let's enjoy riding, and, it, and it's a group thing, you know, and it's not this whole, like, strongest, you know, as your weakest link kind of concept, it's like, we're collectively doing this together, and, you know, I, uh, It's I, like an indoor climbing gym, right? Yeah, it's yeah, the same thing, yeah, you know, it's absolutely. just experiencing the sport in a really safe, controlled environment, but being able to climb a you know, 514A inside doesn't guarantee your ability to climb a 514A outside, yeah. In Red Rock. That's true, so true. <laughs> Yo, there's been some, uh, I feel like there's been the movement of community cycling here in Vegas has been, uh, been growing lately. I don't know, you guys have been here, maybe, or Danny, you've been, long, been in Vegas longer than I have, so have you noticed a, a shift uh, at all? Any any improvement of, of community in the, the cycling space here in Vegas? Um, I love that Vegas is what I like to call a small enough pond that we can all get together. You know, through a certain degree of separation, almost everybody knows one another. So it's, it's encouraging that, you know, there's the opportunity to really forge together this tight-knit community, you know? But I think, the, I think the thing that's really kind of really impeding that from moving into a, a reality is just because it's social, it also ends up being kind of clique-ish, you know, like certain individuals feel like they can't ride with other people because they're going to offend someone, you know, because they belong to a specific shop or club or whatever. We're not actuality. It's like, you know, we've, you've got a bike, I've got a bike, there's an open world, let's go, you know? Um, so I think there's a lot of great potential in that aspect, and because it's not as vast of a community, 
say, for example, in some of the neighboring states of Utah, California, that kind of thing, you know? Um, little groups like this and, you know, like we're talking about the espresso rides and just chances to get together and say, hey, let's just ride for riding's sake, you know? That has been encouraging to me. Um, I mean, if that, if that makes yeah. sense at all. Yeah, yeah. Think, uh, yeah, there's there's great momentum in that regard. Little things like, you know, the idea with um, Save Red Rock, right? It just happened recently. All these individuals came together from all these different groups for one purpose. The purpose was to save that, you know, that beautiful landscape that we all enjoy out there. And I think that's something that we need to hone in on. Because otherwise, you don't get the chance to have these kind of experiences where you rub shoulders where, with individuals where you talk to them, and you find out their past experience. Like, I was talking about how, like, you know, the, the length of friendship you've had with, with uh, Tim Johnson and Lynn and all these other individuals. I mean, that's really kind of cool. No one would have known that otherwise. Maybe you not had a chance to, you know, get together and take a poll for somebody like that. Yeah, you're close. You have close ties with some shops here in Tuck, right? Yeah, um, uh, the bike shop. Yeah, the bike, bike shop. Yeah, yeah. Have you have you seen uh, sort of in, in, the reason why why I mentioned that is is you know they it's a massive shop. It is a big shop. It's a massive Large shop. Large space. Yeah, and you know, eye gears. Obviously, obviously, the you know the business between bike shops here is very, is a very competitive landscape. I feel like. Yeah. Um, you know, no one, no one. I'm sure people talk about it, but you, you I can tell there's they're very competitive. But at the end of the day, it's, it's about riding the bike. It's about cycling. You know, and, and I've seen a lot of shops kind of like open up and start doing some more co-ops and uh, promote a lot more group rides. You know, even if it's uh, spread out between like Henderson and someone, everyone's kind of like doing something now. I feel like. I mean, my first couple of years, maybe I wasn't tapped into the whole. Uh, cycling network in town, but I didn't really see much on Facebook, you know, what's going on in terms of cycling. Oh, there's a ride here, there's a ride there. Uh, towards the, this fourth quarter of, the, of 2016, I've seen a lot more group activity uh, happening. I don't know, have you noticed that? Well? Yeah, it definitely seems like, like, you know, I've only been here a couple of years, right? But it yeah. certainly seems like it's on the uptick than, you know, when I started here. And I, I think what's, uh, what's kind of cool is that there is a lot of... Um, orientation around interest instead of uh, um, like shop affiliation or whatever you know so you know I mean for examples like the Las Vegas cyclocross community has their own you know Facebook page it's pretty active you know put together our own practices organized trips and yeah I saw you know, a ton of that I mean there was that kind of stuff and, and so there's some you know there's that's a it's a great example I think and I mean like you know there's guys I know that only ride mountain bikes you know and they do they have a similar sort of you know, organization that way um, they seem pretty well organized and doing things getting together and riding and it's sort of organized around interest right as opposed yeah. to like shop affiliation or something yeah 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 I like that that's really cool and, and, I, and I was following the the training rides that you guys have been doing on Wednesday night oh the I don't know who leads it or, or you know who shows up but what I did notice is um, there was a young girl and, and she oh, recently yeah. got into it yep. did a couple races yep, yep. I mean that's a highlight yeah that's yeah. a milestone. You know, when you have a group, and yeah, it's cool to have a beer and everything. 
but if you can kind of like promote that with you, yeah. I mean, yeah. A couple of young boys that show up to you, uh, sons of of some of the cross guys here in town. Yeah, that's some cool stuff. Yeah, it's awesome. I mean, that's that's why. I feel that's that's why they sh- those things should exist. You know, is, is to, to raise the awareness and what better um, demographic to impact than youth? You know, under under fifteen. And, and cross is pretty approachable. I mean, it's a good uh, a good uh, entry point for you know women or youth or whatever. It's because it's. While it is a bit intimidating, kind of generally speaking, it's a really safe and closed environment, and you know, like you're just doing laps. So, you know, if you get lapped, you get lapped, but you just hop back in or whatever, and it's not, you know, there's no um, fear of being like left out on the mountain bike trail like seven miles from your car or something, not being able to get back, sort of thing. You, know, you can see your car all the time, <laughs> right? You know, minus a velodrome, like it's probably one of the more approachable sort of types of bike riding you can do. You know. So, what do, you, what do you think? What's your opinion on how, on how, uh, you know, Felix has been evolving in the past, you know, this past year? You've been close to it, you yeah. know, and getting closer and closer. Uh, you know, you. You're a customer as well, you yeah. know, you, you subscribe to it. Um, what do you think the, the impact has been in terms of our company uh, here in Vegas, if any? Well, I think it's... Um, and that's one question. Yeah. Well, we'll start there. Okay, sure. Yeah. I mean, I think it's been great to do the podcast. I mean, uh, you know, I think that there's... There's... Um, and you know I love critical feedback, so... Right. Yeah. Uh, I, I, so, I mean, I, the podcast is great because, I, you know, being able to focus on a lot of the people here in the community, I think, has shown how diverse the um, experience and um, the access to like, different facets of the cycling community are, you know? Because yeah. Vegas is one of those places where it's just big enough where it's hard to get everybody in one place at the same time or to know all these sort of stories and that kind of stuff. Um, and uh, so I think that's been really useful. And, you know, I one of the, as a sort of side note, like one of the things I've always thought was sort of a greatest tragedies of sort of the Lance era is that everybody just kind of focuses on what happened with Lance and the other guys in that group, right? And there's a lot of stories there where people's careers started and ended in that whole period and they've done a lot of great things and kind of, I feel like a lot of that has just been sort of unmentioned because of the other notable events of the era, right? Like they never really got a chance to shine, you know? um, You know, so... I think it's neat to be able to have a situation where you can identify and showcase, right, like the cycling expertise in in an area like Vegas. So I think that's been a huge um, uh, addition to the sort of historical um, record of of the cycling community, right? Um, Capturing that at a point of time. Um, and I think that's kind of cool. Um, well, a big, you know, a big thing from us is, and even why we, you know, Felix are, has is has so many aspects to it, you know, and, and we've been really trying to find our core. I mean, we know what our business model is, you know, and it's based on leveraging data performance from athletes to better fuel 
them, you know, and, and have them um, worry less about what they got to eat and what they're going to put in their pockets uh, before, during, and after their activity. You know, at the end of the day, uh, we was, we just want you to have more fun, you know, and, and really enjoy your passion and what you do. You know, and, and one thing, uh, if we can take the, the trips away to the grocery stores to you know, specifically buy some sports nutrition uh, or a bike shop uh, and, and kind of target a little bit more of your taste preferences and whatever dietary restrictions you might have, you know, we can support that. Uh, and really analyze it, you know, kind of do all the legwork for you, then awesome. But more than anything else, for us, it's really been growth uh, through the passion of just impacting other people, you know. And, and one interesting thing that we've been able to find out is, is through this podcast, is really, really getting to the grain of things with other people and having those conversations. You know, it's one thing to throw out emails, you know, and chat about stuff. Um, it's one thing to post a blog, and you might reach a lot of people as well. Uh, but there's just something that happens when you're face to face encounter. You know, with that you can't really, you can't find, you can't put that on a blog. You know, uh, I mean, it, it. I see the other side as well. Like, I, I, I very much uh, have observed. A different aspect of learning, you know, through conversation and, and, and the knowledge that both parties, you know, gain from it. It's great. Um, yeah, I think we've been, you know, we try, we try to do our best in terms of trying to bring the community together in, in some way. You know, whether it's the expresso rides or you know, just being showing up at, at any event that anyone has. You know. Well, and I think, I mean, I, I think personally, like, Fuel Talk was a great way to sort of take that to the next level, and I hope I hope to continue that this year, because I think having sort of like a, I don't really want to call it an academic event, but it's kind of more, you know, like if you're in your professional life, if you, you have conferences all the time, and you go and you listen to, you know, experts in the field, and, you know, you... Um, sort of aggregate with those with members of your community um, at events and you know outside of bike racing we don't really do that much and there's no sort of like space for uh, actual discourse right and so I thought that was a really neat um from a slightly bit of an outsider's perspective in the cycling world, yeah. you know, like a neat approach to doing something of that magnitude, and I think it's a it's a it's a niche that's that needs to be filled, and um, you know, in particular in the cycling realm, but also probably in the, in the kind of generalist you know endurance uh, sports. Realm. You know, I think it was a really cool experience. Yeah, for sure. So I'm excited to see how that grows and yeah. to, to be a part of that again. Yeah. Um, and shout out to your 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 close ties too. You're really good friends with Brian and with Adam, right? Adam Mills. Adam specifically, actually, yeah. Brian and I had just met at um, Fuel Talk. Okay. Oh, okay, okay. But I, I, again, like you know, it's like <laughs> his approach to life. Yeah, he's yeah, he's, he's a cool guy. I really had a good time uh, conversing with him, and um, but you know. Uh, 
basically at the time of Fuel Talk, Adam and Brian were sort of newly found business partners to one degree or another because KHS and Elevate Pro Cycling Team were merging. Um, that wasn't like public at that point. Um, but you know they were working together to coordinate that as Adam's involved in the management of Elevate. And Elevate brings in a lot of young riders. It does, yeah. yeah. And KHS also, you know, Brian was involved in the management of that, so they're sort of combining those teams. And um, so I think there's a lot of good harmony there, kind of generally. But yeah, Adam's another person I've known for almost 20 years, and he's my coach, and um, uh, you know, he's a great guy. Sure. I mean, I thought that was one of the main reasons why we wanted to do Fuel Talk is to bring all these minds that, you know, might not know each other uh, to meet, you know, yeah. and, and, and have those off-the-cuff conversations before and after the, the actual conference and, you know, make contact and kind of just grow the ecosystem in that, in that way, you know, because it, a lot of times everyone is like in their own little pockets of their own worlds, you know, which is easy to do. But because cycling is so, I mean, compared to other sports and other activities, it's very small, you know, um, it's good when, when those leaders, those influencers kind of get together, you know, and chat about, you know, what's going on in, the, in, their, in their own worlds, yeah. share from their experiences. Yeah, the only thing I've seen kind of similar to it is they have similar panelist sort of discussions at the Handmade Bike Show every year. You know? Where is that? Uh, it rotates. I forget where it is this year. I think maybe Salt Lake City? Such a great show. Awesome, yeah. like, shout out to those guys. If you guys can, anybody can make it out to the, to the National Handmade Bike Show. It's just, it's, it's such a great experience. check that out. Yeah, it's awesome. If you're into craft and art as an artist, yeah, some of the stuff they, they come up with is really and, and like talk about sacrificing hours these guys put into building these things it's super prestigious cool man you guys want to give any any shout outs to anyone out there uh, in this year anyone who's on your list who's on your good list <laughs> um, well among many there's, there's quite a few um, Ben Radner from Adobe Cycling has uh, been really prolific in, in helping to bring about a lot of stuff. It's been personal uh, accomplishments in my life. Uh, really kind of bringing in some structure, some, some new perspective on uh, where to go with expanding in the community. You know, we move away from, we are talking about racing, there's a, there's a whole lot of cycling outside of just racing. For those that are intimidating by it because they're like, oh, I'm not a racer, I, I guess I can't belong. It's like, oh, it's just, look at all the different types of bikes out there. There's always different types of riders out there, you know. So that's been fun for me. Um, uh, obviously, the, um, you know, Pablo and Kaz and everybody at Fuelix, so it's kind of been a great experience to bring all this together in the local community. Um, yeah, I would say that's uh, too, too brown nose or anything like that. It's been fun, man. It's been, it's been a good year to look forward to, to some new upcoming stuff in 2017. Right on, man. Jet? Yeah, um, I guess, you know, obviously the biggest shout out goes to the family, you know, putting up with my craziness. Uh, and uh, and uh, my long bike rides on occasion, but 
you know, cycling specific, I mean, I, I, I share Danny's sentiment. I'm super excited to be on as director of engineering at Fuelixer and um, sort of see where that goes and uh, be a part of a, a not just a, a brand, but a, a company feel that is really kind of uh, harmonious with my, uh, with my views of life and, um, you know, coming, you know, a, a huge shout out to um, uh, Modeset, which is my former employer up till about August. I was there for four years uh, with really close friends and uh, we were a small consultancy that just couldn't quite make it. And so um, we had to shut that thing down this year. Um, so I sort of made the transition to being an independent consultant and, and, and that sort of stuff. Um, but, you know, they uh, provided a great platform for me for many years. So um, super thankful for that. And uh, the bike shop here in Las Vegas, we just, uh, I just got a new felt uh, Bruhal electric cargo bike. That's so sick. Yeah, the thing is awesome. It's like my, my, uh, my um, uh, kitty wagon now, carry the kids everywhere on it, um, and it's been really fun. Yeah. Um, I have a blog article upcoming on 30 days of e-biking, which is <laughs> kind of interesting. That's good, that's a guy, uh, I, like, I like that title. Yeah, and uh, um, so that's, they've really supported me in all aspects. Uh, Terry there as a former racer has been great. Um, the Allegiant Cycling team has just been great. All the boys on there are really fun to be with. And, uh, we uh, super strong race club, and um, I'm actually really proud of everything we did this year and everything that's coming up. So some of those guys are really strong right now. So that's fun. Matt Shackley's back, just giving everybody a forewarning about who to look out for at the Desert City Crit Series. Yeah, some wattage there. Yeah, the Shack Attack is, is back on it. <laughs> Shack Attack. <laughs> I had those shoes actually. <laughs> and, day, uh, With the pumps and everything. So so we have some 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 good power in the team right now, and I'm very thankful Excellent. to be a part of that. Excellent. And, uh, you know, I've uh, um, and then Source Endurance, of course, is. Uh, Again, owned, owned by, at least in part, by my friend Adam Mills and a good long friend of mine and great coaching group. And uh, uh, they've helped me out a lot this year, put up with my lack of motivation. <laughs> I'm sure Adam has better things to do than listen to me whine about yeah. not wanting to ride. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, ther <laughs> therapy is part of the package. <laughs> and... Um, and then finally, a uh, little product to check out. I've been using a, a, a product called Headspace, which is a, a, a digital product. It's uh, 10 minutes a day, mindful meditation, guided. Um, takes you through a whole series of things. And, um, the guy, Andy, who does it, I don't know personally, but um, it's really good. It's really good. Uh, so uh, if you're looking for, for something to sort of jumpstart that part of your life this year, I'd highly recommend that. You know, 2016, jeez, I don't even know where to start. Oh, I do actually, which is the core. Uh, the person who, who sees uh, my smiles and my cries, which is Natalia, you know, um, huge shout out to her. Uh, always there and, and supporting and definitely, you know, having to uh, keep, the, keep the bed warm when I'm leaving the super early morning. But, um, but yeah, I mean, Jeez, you know, uh, Felixer has been has been a great, great experience. Um, I can't wait. 
to continue on, on the journey. Definitely fortunate to have you guys on board on the team. And you know, I can't uh, can't thank you guys enough to, to trust uh, you know your time and, and what you guys do. You know, it's it's, it's really cool. Um, definitely appreciate that and respect that for sure, for sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm blanking now on people, but it's been you know it's been a lot it's been a lot of support. You know, a lot of support. Uh, the, program that we went through in downtown Las Vegas through the mill, you know, geez, I mean, they put you through a little boot camp there on, you know, how you can grow your company and actually transfer it from a project into something that is a business. It's been very influential in our growth up until today. But yeah, there's a lot of on the forefront, a lot of people coming in. Just landing and, and eating up, you know, the, the content that, that we create. We always try to keep up with new things, you know, and new ways that, that people are interacting. So you can definitely always find our guides, you know, our blogs, our podcasts. Um, but without the people that are part of that, it wouldn't be anything. I mean, it's, it's the people that are willing to share their stories, it's the people that are willing to share their knowledge about things. Um, you know, that's that's where really the, the magic happens. Uh, so, uh, yeah, let's get this 2017 started, huh?